This is Chat Dragon, a talk show and actual play podcast about sci-fi, fantasy, and the world's most beloved game of make-believe, Dungeons and Dragons. My name is Jared, and I'm your host. I am a newspaper reporter by day and a dungeon master by night. I decided to start this podcast for purely selfish reasons, and that is to have a reason to talk to interesting people about interesting topics all through the lens of D&D. Each episode, I talk to friends, family members, and tabletop role-playing creatives about this beloved hobby. The conversations are driven by dice, and the games driven by our imaginations. This is the Chat Dragon Pod, and uh, this is your host, Jared. I'm back again with my friend, Marcus Walker. We're going to talk D&D. Marcus just had his first experience playing the game. Marcus, what'd you think? I had a blast, man. I I had an absolute blast. Um, I was torn a lot between trying to be the failed improv comedian that Marigold Thundercrack is and actually remembering that I am playing a role-playing game. So uh, my, my brain didn't, I feel like my brain didn't do a great job of juggling those, those tasks. Um, But the short answer is that I I had fun, even though I'm not entirely sure what it is that I just did. (laughs) Um, I guess, what did you, what do you think about, you know, this, I know you, you were saying you were playing, um, weren't really sure how to, play a role player essentially because being an improv comedian is kind of being a role player but um how do you feel about the fact that you're playing a character that potentially is now going to go on and be played by another person uh i'm not sure i think you know one of the things that i i love about you know this idea for a pod you know you call an actual play pod is the i is the telephone element of it i think that really that really kind of makes it fun and and would seem to guarantee at least some modicum of chaos from episode to episode and uh that seems like a good a good recipe um for for fun stuff for people to listen to. But as far as my own personal um, views towards, towards role-playing as this character, I mean, I I thought like we, we were a match made in heaven. Like I I felt like it was, it was me out there in, in various points, you know, failures and successes. Uh, You had a bit of indecisiveness uh, to engage with the, uh, the woman who was, holding your money um you want to tell us kind of what was going through your head as you approached her and kind of went through your these various conversations with her i think i got i got internally a little bit tense when i i became convinced that this was the right person and yet she wouldn't just keep it simple she wouldn't just um be forthright and i think some of my indecisiveness stemmed sorry for the technical difficulty but during our recording we lost connection and lost this section of the interview my bad from 
being t- this dude that I work for. Um, I, I felt torn between that and trying to use my alleged charm as as uh, at least past stage performer and as someone who fancies himself um, a charmer and, and a and, and someone who is good with people. Uh, I and I, I think you know. Tell me if you agree with this. I, I think I kind of split the difference and just went all over the place with it. I mean, I, I really threw a lot of different colored darts at the board here, I think. Yeah, absolutely. But I think you kind of displayed like the full range of the human, like human emotion and what, you know, if you, if someone was put in that situation, you're trying to find some money, trying to find the guy that holds the money or the woman who's holding your money and you're not sure who it is, who to talk to. I think, you know, understandably you would go through all, you'd kind of go logically through the thought process that you went through, you know, like you're suspicious, but what are my options? So. I, I'm suspicious, but yes, but I also do have a job to do here. Absolutely. Um, were you foreseeing there being an ambush? like that or did you uh was that a surprise i guess i think you you you've done a really nice job of sketching out who todd the heroic is and what he's like so there was always going to be an element of me that was never surprised that this went awry but sure i mean you're you're uh, my, my my heart definitely started beating a little bit faster when I started to see those characters closing in on me. And, and in that exact moment, um, my computer crashed and we had to restart. So that was, uh, that felt symbolic as well, you know? Um, so, you know, sure. I, I, I was, as as surprised as one would get in that situation, but also with Todd, with this guy, when he is the way that he is a thousand times in a row, are you really going to be that shocked when he's the same way for the thousand and first time? Absolutely. That was actually going to be the next thing I talked to you about, because, well, not about Todd, but your computer crashing, because... Um, I don't know how the episode will come out in the edit, but uh, Marcus's, you know, computer crash kind of at a pivotal time in the episode. <laughs> it was so, piv- <laughs> I mean, it was literally, it couldn't have been at a more pivotal moment. <laughs> so it was, uh, and I was just staring at a frozen picture of your face and I was like, Marcus, I, I wasn't even sure how long I had been talking to you and not until I re- finally realized you weren't there. And I was like, so you going to say anything? Marcus, you there? What's going on? (laughs) (laughs) You should release that one-sided conversation as like a bonus episode or something. I think that would, the dead air and awkwardness of that would be phenomenal. But yes, you you are correct to point that out. And even though it was out of my control, I I do apologize. I think uh, I'm not to the level where, 
I could realistically start a Patreon and think people would pay money, but maybe there's like a future, like listeners only episode of this particular one where it's just you know 15 minutes of dead air and me like <laughs> me like whistling yeah. and grunting as i do pull-ups in the background you know yeah yeah the, just kind the, of the chat dragon blooper reel yeah and then and then if it's behind a paywall i can maybe use the benny hill theme to um <laughs> to, since there i don't have to maybe worry about copyright or anything it's nothing has ever been made less funny by using the Benny Hill music. No, that's my dream is to somehow legally insert that into an episode. And just <laughs> that's a good aspiration to have for sure. Yeah. But um, so this was your first time playing. Um, is it everything you expected it to be or was it less so or more so? I don't. In retrospect, think I had any expectation for what I might encounter here, and that might have been a little bit of a mistake. I, I do, I, I did feel um, sort of woefully underprepared, even though I also felt um, that I redeemed at least some of what was supposed to be happening toward the end when I, when I remembered, you know, the, the elements or the aspects around me, I I kind of made a point to at at least do that towards the end. Um, But as far as expectations, I, again, I can't, you know, you know, listening to, to one or two previous episodes of your pod as I have, I really had no idea what that looked like. You know, I knew that something like this might have been going on, but I, 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 you know, having having such an unfamiliarity um, with the game, you know, even in the most basic sense of what a dungeon master does. Um, so, I don't know if that if that's a suitable answer but that's how i feel about it i guess when you say you assume something was going on you mean like the there, we had like a virtual tabletop in front of us with our little characters running around on it is that what you're talking about yes uh, but what i'm what i'm trying to sketch out is that i i had no idea what that might look like or oh, to experience yeah oh, okay I guess I mean since you've you this is your first um, time you've ever tipped your toe and your toe into this hobby, I, you know every dungeon master they do things differently. Um, some people don't use you know, digital props. You know they'll try to describe everything and allow the the player to kind of make the thing up in their head as they go along. Or, or, you know, in person, they might have this very elaborate, um, like, terrain and, like, little miniatures that they like to put out on the board to give some sort of visual reference. Or they'll just have pictures drawn. and Or, you know, they might just have random odd props. You know, it's kind of like a thing where the person who is running the game can really put their own flavor on it. Um, mm. But since, you know, we play, we're playing online and it's, like, a COVID time, I would say this digital 
it's called a VTT virtual tabletop is kind of becoming more and more the norm. Um, probably with players, I'm guessing, since they aren't really able to meet up. And the one we use is probably one of the least elaborate, <laughs> the least elaborate ones. Um, but it's the simplest I've found to use um, when compared to some of the other things that are out there. So yeah, sure, sure. I mean, I knew guys who spent hours and hours and hours like putting together campaigns and building worlds. So yeah, I, I could, I'm obviously um, a complete noob at this, but I could instantly tell, you know, with the virtual tabletop interface that y you sent me the link for that, oh, this is definitely simplified, you know? Absolutely. I, I, yeah, there's things that um, have all these bells and whistles. There's one now, right now, it's called Tailspire. It's all 3D and it's made to look like um, the miniatures that you'd buy and paint yourself, which, yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I, I'm, this is all probably things uh, people might know who would listen to this podcast, but I'm just, I guess, kind of filling you in on what the culture is like or what the, gaming is like in terms of um this hobby yeah so. yeah yeah sure no no that's interesting so having played do you think this is something you'd want to ever revisit or is this kind of like yeah this was interesting but i'm i'm ready to go back to fantasy football first of all how dare you uh besmirch the good name of fantasy football which never makes anyone who plays it happy uh, myself included, that sort of um, backhanded dig aside, though, <laughs> I think I would be curious to see to to maybe see D and D played a little bit more before I tried it again. I mean, I would definitely do do the virtual tabletop thing again. Like with with such a you know, uh, just understanding and compassionate guide as you were, I'm sure I would not find that everywhere I looked. Um, but yeah, I I, I I can definitely say I would I would do this again, but I I would want to I I would want to maybe see a little bit more of it first. That's fair. Uh, absolutely, that's fair. I, I would say probably most people you play with are going to be compassionate because it's kind of even people who, I mean, like when you read the rule book, say, the rule book even tells you that it's just a framework. Like, feel free to ignore everything that's in this book, you know? Mm -hmm. So you can make it your own. Some people probably ignore that part and just take the rule book as literal as possible and say hey this is how it's got to be played it's not how i play it because i think there's a lot of interesting things out there to borrow and sample from um but i think most people would be compassionate because they don't expect you to know how to play their game you know they're they're there to guide you and well, I, think, I've, I think you've revealed that I, I have probably unfairly stereotyped at least a certain segment of D, &D players in my head so you know, thanks for thanks for calling that out. Well, 
I mean, then again, there you know, there's always some bad apples. I mean, I think <laughs> I, I'm thinking though, you know, the next step if you were to want to do this would be to you know get people you feel comfortable with already to play with. You know, if you're uncertain, because um, it might be kind of awkward to just be like, hey, can I sit in on your <laughs> game and just right, sit right. in? But you know, if if it was like me and Matt and you or something like that, you know, that would maybe be a good introductory group because then it's you know we're not going to judge you and Matt is yeah. probably Matt's probably going to do all the talking anyways because he's very um, theatrical as it is you know as a person. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's it's a similar you know it's a similar thing to, to the fantasy football comment you made. It's like, you wouldn't walk up to someone who's like been a commissioner of the same fantasy football league for 30 years and be like, Hey, so I wanted to drop into your league. It's like, uh, we haven't had any new people since George W. Bush was in office. Like that's not acceptable. And the same thing with D and D. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wander into some campaign that's been going on for decades and just be like, yeah, just to fly on the wall like that, 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 that's hollowed ground, you know, for, 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 for people. So I, I, I definitely, um, pick up, pick up what you're throwing down on the, you know, just make sure you get along with the people aspect of it. Absolutely. And I would say, I mean, I, well, both of my campaigns are paused, but I mean, we could always have you come in as a guest and just play a play a random character, side character that shows up for an evening, and then you could, you know, meet a few people and get a flavor of what it's like to play with a group of people. Because I'd say playing with a group is, you said this can be kind of chaotic. It's way more chaotic chaotic when you have, like, you have to manage, like, three or four people and make sure that everybody's getting a turn and not just... Um, and whatever they want willy-nilly so sure yeah i i would definitely uh only be comfortable making as you said maybe a quick cameo in a in a situation like that like guest starring on this episode or something a special guest star yeah which might be kind of fun to do on this show now that i think about it like if we have say i have matt on or something and not tell him I mean, I don't even know if he's ever listened to this, but but, Matt, but for for five minutes or something, Matt, like just, have Matt, just into our game kind of deal. Have like Matt as the guest and be like, and we're bringing out a special, a, you know, guest starring Marcus Walker, and not tell him, and just have you sign on and start moving bits and pieces around. I mean, if what you want is to keep things interesting that, that would definitely be a wrinkle for that i think it could be fun it's out of nowhere i probably shouldn't have discussed it on air because then it won't be as much of a surprise but <laughs> well you know you know what to do yeah i gotta document these ideas somehow or else i'm gonna forget <laughs> right note to self i had uh, a moment today where i was like oh this would be a really good idea for the podcast <laughs> But then I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that later. I got to recreate all these assets just um, because for the listener, I, I deleted my cache on my computer and lost all these assets for the VTT. And so I had to like re-download a bunch of stuff to get it going again. 
And so I didn't write that idea down because I was too busy mm-hmm. trying to get things going. And now I totally forgot what it was. So <laughs> you, Of course you did. Yep. I've, I've had that experience. I have that experience all the time. I have a little notebook in my phone. And unfortunately, my best ideas always happen when I'm working with my hands and I can't put them into my phone. But if, I, if at all possible, I definitely try to do it in the moment. Absolutely. So, Marcus, do you still have the virtual tabletop open? I will momentarily. All right. We're going to use the dice roller on that because I don't know if you've listened to our wrap-up shows typically, but we do the, you know, like three random questions. You roll dice, and then I read off a question that's on a dice table. Yeah, I've, I remember that from a previous episode. All right. So whenever you got that open, just go ahead and roll your d20. All right. Rolling now. I have rolled a five. Five. All right. So this is actually one that Trevor answered. Um, I don't know if it was on his first, the first episode or the second one. Because when Trevor and I recorded, he, we did like a test episode that never aired, but... What scene, mm-hmm. what scene in a movie always gives you goosebumps when you see it? Now, goosebumps are different than chills or tears. I would say uh, off the top of my head, I'm thinking um, of some of those... Just maybe not even a specific scene as much as some of like the wide sweeping shots of any Roger Deakins movie, I guess. Like he's done a ton of Coen Brothers stuff. He's done a ton of Denis Villeneuve stuff. He did the Shawshank Redemption, like that shot of, you know, going over the prison yard in the beginning. Um, Those kinds of awe-inspiring wonder moments of cinematography usually give me goosebumps. Um, But again, that is not the same as, like, I think, maybe raw emotion. Um, So I'll I'll just, I guess, caveat my answer with that. But I, I love the... The, the wide landscapes and and some of those um, more more beautiful shots um, uh, th- those always uh, those, those always leave my mouth agape okay he's a, you say he's a cinematographer yeah okay cool um, I guess what are some I mean, of the he, he, he shot everything that you've ever seen. Like he shot 1917, he shot Shawshank, he shot a bunch of Coen Brothers movies, No Country for Old Man, he shot Sicario, like right on down the line. If you look at this dude's filmography from about 1993 to the present day, you will see 25 movies that you love. And And I think the cinematography has a lot to do with that. Does one stand out more than the other, like like Sicario or No Country for Old Men or something like that? Over, 
I'll I'll make the Shawshank reference because it was the one that popped into my head first. I mean, everything about that movie um, always blows me away. So I'll I'll go with that one. But that was that was um, that was a little bit uh, earlier earlier Deacons. Um, but it, you're I, I don't know. In my head, I'm never going to go wrong if my answer is Shawshank, which I actually brought up on the pod too. <laughs> You did, yeah. What about that movie stands out for you? I mean, not in terms of cinematography, just as a movie in general. Why is that such like a, a, a why is it a movie that you go back to in your head, do you think? It's such a mainstream normie kind of answer, but it's just perfect. It's perfect. It's um, a story that I, I think has been done to death, but this is the best version of it. You know, guy gets sent to prison for a crime that he didn't commit, dot, 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 or did he? Um, and what happens uh, when he goes to prison is that he meets uh, the Morgan Freeman character, and a pl- it's a platonic love story. And I love it because um, I've seen it 200 times, and it still brings uh, emotion and humor and provokes my thoughts every time that I see it. And I, I don't know how, I don't know how it does it. I don't know why, what makes certain things um, easy and fun to watch over and over again, but whatever that set of necessary and sufficient conditions is, uh, Shawshank's always got it for me. Gotcha. That's a. I think Stephen uh, Stephen King wrote the script, didn't he? Is that correct? He wrote. Um, so Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption was a Stephen King short story that was in a collection of Stephen King short stories. So yes, he did write a lot of the source material. I mean, he he wrote the source material, but a lot of it was changed and. and um, you know, some of the characters evolved and, you know, Rita Hayworth in the Shawshank Redemption's like a hundred pages or something like that. Um, so, and, you know, if you've seen it, it's, it's well, I, I believe the runtime is over two hours. So a, a lot more was ringed out of that material than was originally in the short story. Having not read the short story, but having read some Stephen King and knowing, not read a lot of it, but knowing sort of his reputation, I would say Shawshank Redemption's ending seemed a lot more coherent. You know, I, he had, seems to have a reputation where he kind of writes himself into a corner and then does like a sex machina at the very end to kind of get himself out of it. And I haven't, I haven't watched Shawshank Redemption in a while, but I don't really recall there being like a moment where i was just like like a wtf sort of moment like what what was that all about like how did does that ring true to you i don't even know why i'm bringing this up but i'm just thinking in terms of stephen king yeah i mean you know like i think there's a reason that your mileage may vary on like stephen king books and stories that have been adapted to film you know, as you said, I mean, I, I don't I, I'm thinking here of like something like the stand where like the setup is amazing and then that's it. 
and it just sort of slowly dies on the vine for another 400 pages. I, I'm not sure if that's the kind of thing you're referring to, um, but if it is, yeah, I mean, the Shawshank Redemption takes uh, a short story and just makes um, a, a cinematic masterpiece out of it. Cool. Okay, can I have you roll your dice again, please? All right. I have rolled a 20. Ooh, at 20. What weird thing do you have nostalgia for? What weird thing? Yeah, like my cousin is, I think it was for this question, but he collects like vintage electronics that never never really made it, like laser discs, top-loading VHS players. So do you have like a thing you're weirdly nostalgic for or collect or something like that? Um, I miss, I, I'm, I guess I'm weirdly nostalgic for certain experiences more so than I am collections. I, I did used to collect things, um, but just that period um, when I, I was coming of age in the, the early 2000s, uh, just... I'm I'm kind of it's kind of all encompassing, you know. I, I'm I'm weirdly nostalgic for landlines, you know, like like stretching the cord out around the corner, wandering around, like uh, twisting the phone cord around your arm and leg. You knew it was a a lively conversation if if that was taking place. Uh, I miss the experience of perusing video store racks for uh, whatever hidden gem might be in store there. I miss picking up VHS tapes and just looking at them and being like, what is this? And then actually <laughs> going home and popping it in and discovering something or discovering something awful. Um, just, uh, yeah, just, just kind of that, that whole, um, period of my adolescence there's just a lot of stuff that you if you tried to describe it to young people now they would just look at you like you had two heads um but i'm i'm weirdly i'm weirdly nostalgic for it i uh last time i went back home to my mom's she, you know she has all my stuff in boxes because she's trying to kind of tell me not so subtly like i need to get my crap out of her house and i was like <laughs> looking through um my all my cds back from back in the day and i was yeah. i got kind of weirdly nostalgic for listening to cds so i like grabbed a bunch of them and just like put them in my car to listen to on the way home and i've been kind of enjoying just doing that you know instead of just yeah. like having to find the instead of trying to find the perfect song you know for a car ride on spotify or whatever and worrying, you know, um, and having like an algorithm recommend things. I'm, I'm, I'm weirdly nostalgic for like just going to the library and looking for through the CDs that you could rent and trying to find something that was worth burning and adding to my collection. I guess. Yeah, 
Yeah, just that that process of discovery that was you felt like you achieved something back then, and and now it's it's point and click. Um, but music is a great is a great like kind of barometer for nostalgia. Like, cause I've, I've been having, um, some similar experiences recently, not with CDs, but just like looking up stuff that I used to really rock to. And it's so fascinating how sometimes I'll, I'll listen to something that I, I loved 20 years ago and I'll be like, yeah, this is, I still like this. Uh, maybe I don't like it as much, or maybe I don't like it in the same way, but I still rock to it. Other times, you, you, I, I've listened to some stuff recently where I, I, wow, like I can't believe I ever liked this. And yet, I still can access what was going on in my life and what was going through my mind that led me to like this. So in some sort of weird way, I'm, I'm nostalgic for even the, the terrible stuff. You know, that doesn't necessarily age well or make it to adulthood and maturity, like unscathed, like all it, it's all it's all beautiful. Stephanie and I, we were um, we were watching. Well, I kind of came stumbled into this, but I was, you know, down here working on my computer till like 10 or 11 o'clock at night for work because I have to cover meetings in the evening and a lot of them are online. And um, Stephanie was kind of watching like these old pop punk videos with Javier, our son. And it was kind of interesting. We're like, I, I stumbled into it and we're like looking up like some 41 and AFI. I guess those were more my picks, you know, and she's looking up. Um, I'm trying to think of the. Uh, Jared, the let me stop. Let me stop you right there. You bringing up those particular bands is quite literally exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> like <laughs> those exact are like that's that uh I think we've been on the same uh wavelength recently with some of that stuff. And it's also that's the stuff that I'm referring to as wow, I can't believe I, I liked this. Yeah, absolutely. That was kind of the thing I was like, this was I, we, I was Holy able, smokes. I was able to access that, like you were saying, and kind of enjoy it for what it was. But I was right, like right. thinking to myself, at 33 years old, this, this shows up on Spotify and brand new to this music. It it instantly gets shut off. And I'm not um, – I still listen to like, like some – like I guess people would call that punk. I don't think of that as punk music. Like I still like some punk music. I like – know weirdly aggressive music at times and i still enjoy some like more hardcore stuff but that um that was like one of those nostalgic experiences where it was like fun while it lasted but it's not going back on the radio or the the boom box or yeah whatever you know the beta max <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly or, or the the eight track yeah, no, per perfectly put. Yeah. Yeah. But I did look up um Suicide Machines, our own our own Michigan based or Detroit based um mm -hmm. punk rock band that used to play at the Flint local, who I've never seen, but I had all their CDs and I think you mm -hmm. had seen them. We oh, yeah. looked up we looked up like New Girl, I think. 
and I was I was digging that, that Tony Hawk vibes, making me think of that game. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, there was an entire era of music that I was exposed to solely because of the Tony Hawk Pro Skater soundtrack, which went, it, it, it had a deep bench, like, and there were a lot of them. You remember those games? They had like 30 songs on them. Yeah, well, Suicide Machines was on the first one, and we watched yes. the video, and the video looked like it was shot with a home video camera in front of like somebody's high school and or their house in like oak park or something some detroit suburb and yeah. i was like thinking wow these guys made it on tony hawk but this looks so crappy i'm really surprised i thought these guys would have been uh you know, had more money for a video but you know. well that wouldn't be that wouldn't be very punk of them you know no, to have but they, a polished vid but they didn't look punk at all. They looked, you know, like they just wore like some Vans and like a Carhartt t-shirt. I guess it, <laughs> shots, <laughs> shots fired. Just look plain. But I like I was digging the music. That was out of that evening. That was the one band I was yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll rock this once in a while. I'm not opposed sure. right. to it. At least that first album. I get it. I'm weirdly nostalgic for renting Star Trek VHSs from the Flint Public Library too. Ugh, you're just you're warming the cockles of my heart. All right, can I have you roll uh, D20 for the final time? All right, rolling now. I have rolled an 18. All right. What book has held the most significant impact on you? What book? The answer that instantly pops into my head excuse me, is uh, John Ronson's So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Um, this is a book that you and I have talked about at length um, that I just read maybe four or five years ago now um, at kind of the height of my, I guess, online comment culture bro participation. And the book really rocked me hard um, uh, in the sense of the, the way that it describes what shaming is, what historically the process of shaming people for wrongdoing has been and how that relates to um, our, you know, the, the, the online culture now of, you know, piling on and trying to cancel people. And the book is just wonderfully quirky and, and, and funny and beautifully written in that, in that Ronson style that I love so much. And, it just really stuck with me and you know as he sums it up with with a lot of his criticisms of online shaming and the deep psychological effect that it can have on people he says you know the the snowflake never feels like it has to be responsible for the avalanche and i think that sums it up beautifully you've read this book correct yeah absolutely i've read um 
I think I've read most of what most of his books that are still in publication. He had a book you can't get, and he I don't think wants to republish it because he said it wasn't very good. But yeah, I've read quite a bit of his stuff. Not everything, but I really like John Ronson, and um, I'll let you continue your thought. But I I have been thinking about that guy for a while, and once you finish, I'll kind of share. Um, I've been thinking about him. So, okay, I, I'm actually glad you said that because as it, as that quote was coming out of my mouth, I realized that I mangled it, and so I get a retake. It's rare in life that you get a naturally, organically suggested redo. So, the quote is: "The snowflake never has to feel responsible for the avalanche." In regards to online shaming and piling on and and outrage culture and all that. So continue with, with your thoughts. Yeah, so when I started this show, you know, I realized this is kind of an outlet to give me a chance to talk to people that I would otherwise not get the chance to talk to. And I don't know if John Ronson is in particular is a D&D guy in any sense, but he is definitely a quirky person and an interesting person. And I like would really love to get him on the show because he's done such silly, silly yet serious, like silly slash serious books. Like, absolutely. And yeah. and the con and then he puts out other good content. Like he wrote the movie, like Ted, that movie. I think not Ted. Oakja. Movie- oh not- yeah, Oakja. But the one about the guy. Oh, who had- um, Frank. Frank, yeah, Frank is a based on a it's based on his life. It's like a true story based on his life. And he sure. wrote he wrote that short story and then the script. And then he wrote Okja. He's produced some really good podcasts for Audible. Mm-hmm. And and I'm like, oh, I would love to get this guy in the show just to talk to him. And I had at one point in my life had a brief, very brief email exchange with him when I was working at my old job. And um, he like emailed me some words of encouragement. And we had just this very short um, exchange. And I was like, tr- I'm like, so I, lately I've been trying to find his email again online because I have no idea how I found it. I just stumbled across it and shot him a couple emails. And he was kind, he had some kind words and he responded back to me. That's and, awesome. But, but now I, I don't work at that job anymore. I don't have access to that email account. And even if I did, I had deleted everything every exchange i'd ever had on it just to mm-hmm. you know i i knew i was leaving i didn't want to like people like seeing that i was like looking for jobs and as i was working there i don't know i was just trying to clean up my you know my 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 profile there or whatever my gmail profile yeah yeah so i don't have his email anymore and so i've been looking for his email lately just to extend him an invite and I've gone to his website, but it's like his media contact. And I'm, I, you know, I'm afraid that if I email that person, it's just going to immediately get screened and tossed in the rubbish bin, you know, and sure. not get to him. Because I feel like if I could reach him, he's quirky enough. And if he had time, he would maybe entertain the idea of like doing something weird, like a D&D podcast slash interview show. Yeah, I love everything you said about Ronson, and I agree that it would be an absolute gas to talk to him. But you did leave one thing out, which is 
It would be so. It would be such a delight to get his particular voice and cadence on this podcast. You know, I just love everything about the way he talks to people. Mm-hmm. You know, like his his tone. Like I, I once went to Bohemian Grove with Alex Jones. Like I yeah. just, I love him. <laughs> I love him to yeah. death. And publicly shamed is definitely was one of his more impactful books on me, but the one I feel like I think about and quote the most, not quote, because I don't remember quotes from books, but talk about the most is the psychopath test because I think it's so like interesting because you realize, you read that book and you think, you think psychopaths are these murderous people who are all, who are behind bars and a lot of like, of those psychopaths exist, but then you're like, psychopaths also exist on wall street and that's like how these people can make the financial decisions these horrible financial decisions that affect the entire world in a negative negative way um only for their you know only to enrich themselves or can like casually like these you know he gives the example of the guy whose job is to basically go into a factory and fire people like a whole factory yeah the terminator yeah. Yeah, and how that guy can just casually do it and he he does it and then he goes back to his home where he has like a gold statue of himself. I don't know if he had a gold statue, but just that it seemed to have no effect and you're like psychopaths are out there. They're not all killers, but they might be your boss, you know, who who callously, you know, makes you work on your kid's birthday, you know, overtime on your kid's birthday or does these do these things that are otherwise comprehensible um right and like yeah. to any normal person person so it's 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 another absolutely phenomenal book i love it to death and it he does a really nice job of sketching out in a in a simple way what who bob Hare is and how he came up with this I can't remember the abbreviation for what the the psychopath checklist is, but but there mm-hmm. are just a list of traits, and if you score high enough, if you if you check enough boxes, you are classified in this way. And and he he also does a nice job of sketching out like, you know, the fact that there are people who disagree with this way of of looking at human psychology and think that the tests should be, you know, more heavily scrutinized and should you make a decision um, about this man or woman's future based on how they scored on a test and, and, and all that. So it, it's, it's another great one. Yeah, absolutely. And then not one of my favorites, but just a fun one. And the movie is really fun too, but it's like many stare at goats, you know, the movie I feel like is a more obviously like a fictional count because his, the minister, many stare at goats <laughs> book is like, it's like actually stories about things that happen, whereas Ewan McGregor's character in the movie is supposedly John Ronson going through all these insane experiences. <laughs> but the movie is the movie I remember being really fun and the book being fun too to kind of like learn about all that stuff. The book is fun, but it's one of those books that I read and I was like, Okay, I read that. Like I don't need to see the movie. I, I get it. You know? <laughs> like I, I get that they're people out there who are employed by the United States military who believe that they can walk through walls if they just stare hard enough and they can make goats fall over if they, you know, that's out there. 
Yeah. I think it's just like a fun book. The movie is fun. And it's a little bit infuriating to think that the government is wasting money on people who are trying to become remote viewers or something like that. But Well, um, you only say that, Jared, because you haven't taken a close enough look behind the eyes of goat number 16. Yeah. Who is the guy... Um, something Randy, James Randy, who's like, whole job is to kind of feel like that guy tied into the book somehow, you know, exposing. Oh, yeah. Remote viewing and and here are the necessary and sufficient conditions required to, like, prove that this is possible. I don't remember James Randy being a presence in that book, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me. And and James Randy actually just died recently. Um, but rest in peace. Yeah. That guy was awesome. It was awesome. Marcus, um, this probably wraps it up for our episode. Um, before I let you go, do you want to tell the listeners where they can find you or find your podcast or find your home? Sure. We can definitely do that. Um, one final time, uh, I co-host the Haven't Seen It podcast with the inimitable Matt D. You can find us in a couple of different ways on Spotify by typing Haven't Seen It into the search bar. Uh, the mothership hosting site that we go through is haven'tseenitpod.podbean.com. And you can get us on Twitter at HSIPod. Awesome. Thanks, Marcus. I really enjoyed our uh, conversation today. Enjoyed playing D&D with you, and I look forward to doing it with you again sometime soon. Thanks for having me on, Jared. I had a blast. Thanks. Take care. You too.